I'm Maureen Milliken. And I'm Rebecca Milliken, and this is Groovy Tube. The Crimes of the Brady Bunch. Yes. Episode 4. This is our episode 4, and we'll be covering episodes... 19 to 25. Of season 1 of the Brady Bunch. Yeah. And we are going to go over those episodes right now so you can see... And again, there are different sources that have episodes in different orders. And order. so I think the order that we've used is the one that most people use is the order they aired. So if you're watching them on Hulu or if you have the DVDs, I'm not sure of the DVDs, but yeah. I'm assuming that they'd be in the same order. That and that's why we say the names of the episodes so that you know which ones we're talking about. Yes. So episode 19 was the big sprain. The kids must handle all the chores when Alice sprains her ankle while Carol is away. Uh-huh. But Alice's sprained ankle also means that she will miss the meat cutter's ball with Sam the butcher. Uh-huh. Episode 20, brace yourself. Marcia thinks she is ugly after she gets braces, and it only gets worse when her date to the school dance backs out because his family is going out of town. Something came up. Something suddenly came up. Episode 21, one of my favorites, The Hero. Peter's ego grows wild after he saves a little girl from being crushed by a tumbling wall at the local toy store and is honored by the newspaper. Except it wasn't really a wall. It was just a big Yeah, shelf. it's a big bookcase. It still could have killed her. The possible dream. Cindy accidentally mixes in Marcia's diary with other books for a book drive. Oh, Cindy, Cindy, Cindy. Marcia immediately freaks out because she's worried that someone else will read it and learn about her secret crush on TV movie star Desi Arnaz. Uh-huh. He's so dreamy. Episode 23, To Move or Not to Move. The kids think the house is too small for their needs, so Mike decides it's time to sell it. But then the kids have second thoughts and launch a plan to change his mind. The grass is always greener. Mike believes that teaching the boys how to play baseball is more rigorous than helping Marsha learn her cooking merit badge. Uh-huh. Carol believes the opposite is true. Therefore, the two decide to switch roles for the day to prove their point. Mm. And the last. Episode 25. And today we're talking about seven episodes because we wanted to finish up season one of the bunch. So this is number seven for today. Another classic. Lost Locket, Found Locket. Jan gets a locket from a secret admirer, apparently. As the family tries to determine who anonymously sent the locket, it disappears. So those are the seven episodes that finish off season one of The Brady Bunch. One thing I want to say before we get into these, that one of the things I've noticed that I'll talk about more when we get to the final episodes of this, is there's an evolution to Alice's character that I found very interesting. Ooh, that I can't wait is to one hear of the big your, things I noticed. I can't wait to hear your and another um, And that. another thing that I'll talk a little more about when we get into the episodes about it, but in Lloyd Schwartz's book, Brady, 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 which is one of our sources for the show, yes. he mentions how... When they first started out, a lot of the kids weren't seasoned actors and couldn't act very well. And what they ended up doing, and I think it was somewhere toward the middle of the first season they started doing this more, is doing a lot of close-ups. Yes. And some of these episodes, you can really notice it, because if they just had their head and shoulders, they figured the kids can say the lines 
without having to, I guess, when you act, you use your whole body. I don't know. know. But um, you notice there's a lot of body stiffness sometimes when they're standing around talking. A couple episodes I particularly noticed that in. So the first one we are going to talk about today is the big sprain. The big sprain. And Carol's away because her Aunt Mary is sick. Yes. And there's, you know, there's several episodes where somebody, one of these... Is it Aunt Mary or Martha? Aunt Mary. Aunt Martha's the senile aunt in the locket episode. Okay. Okay. And yeah, I was going to know that's all right, but what I was going to say is they have all these ants that yeah, are always weird too. shit going yeah, on. Whatever. Carol's away. Alice, Alice slips on the Chinese checkers. Which are right in the middle of the living room floor. Not even the living room floor. They're right in the that dining room area where your people are walking all the time. I know. Usually there's nothing on the floor at all. Yeah. Like, why would they be playing them, like, right there? I know. But anyways, I mean, it's obviously a plot device. So she slips and falls and sprains her ankle. Well, first of all, with Carol away, Mike's like, Alice, is this going to be too much for you? And I'm like, isn't that her fucking job? That's what I said. I said, don't they pay her? Yeah, it's going to be too much for Alice because Carol's away. Like, like, what's Carol, her assistant? Well, she is because she's always, like, dusting and doing stuff in the kitchen like because she doesn't have, apparently, anything else to do. But the other thing is... They can't hire a temp to help clean up. That wasn't even that wasn't even um, discussed. No. So Mike, Mike is damn sure not going to do any of the fucking. But he says the kids can. Yeah. No, he's not. He 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 sits them down and has one of his you know talks. talks. One of his lectures. Compass little. They better do. They better freaking do it. And one thing is, which has nothing to do with this episode, and I know it's eased up later in the show. But why are they always all wearing bathrobes? When they're in their pajamas. Oh, I don't know. For modesty's sake. Uh. So I wrote, Mike relishes the chance to lecture them. He does. He does. He does. Um, tells them that they have to do all the chores. And, of course, the girls are going to take over the cooking. Which they apparently aren't very good at. No, they're know not. nothing about. Even though didn't... Oh, no, that hasn't come up yet. No. Okay. No, that's, the, that's another episode. And the boys are going to do... I don't know what Besides the eating, which they make a point of saying. They're doing, like, other housework and stuff, right? I have no idea what they're doing. One thing I didn't understand was why are the boys, like, ready for school and going to school and the girls are home? Like, don't they go to school? Like, what, they're not going to school? Maybe it's like one of those prairie families where the girls have to stop (laughs) going to school so they can stay home and help take care of And do you think it's safe to have someone who's six years old manning the toaster who is a very, very, very immature six years old? I was waiting for her to stick a knife in it. I was hoping. Yeah. I'm sorry, Cindy, but come on. And, uh, and of course, the girls make one of those fake giant kitchen messes, and Greg says, the girls are taking perfectly good food and making garbage out of it. Poison garbage. <laughs> and as usual, I, I noticed an evolution that gets really clear in these episodes of more and more just kind of anti-female stuff. It's not like yeah. equal battle of the sexes stuff. There's many, many more anti-female generalities and insults than there are anti-male ones and everybody just seems to accept that as a normal way and i looked it up and all the executives all the production executives maybe this isn't the right time to talk about it we can talk about whatever are men and that doesn't surprise me like later in some of the later seasons there's a there's a female casting director or something but everybody including the writers are men and I think that has a lot to do with just this general anti-female. Yes. And when you think about what was going on at the time, late 60s, early 70s, the women's movement was going pretty strong. 
I mean, women's lib, as they used to call it back then. Yeah, libbers, women libbers. But, I mean, and just like anything else, there's, there's a backlash against it. Right. Especially, if we've seen it, it's still going on. The people who are in the uh, seat of power, power are the ones like who the feel ch- And when they feel challenged, they don't like it. But also, it's a case of, you know, and people can still complain about this, about the TV industry or the movie industry, or, you know, for God's sake, the newspaper industry being run mostly by men. One of the results you get is you get these generalities that are actually sexist or mm-hmm. racist yes. or whatever, but the people who are making them don't understand that because it's their normal way of thinking. And they also will deny that And they so are. everything's from that gender's point of view, because we're talking right now about... But even, I would argue, even if there were a woman in the production, there, there wouldn't have been a difference No, then. but what I'm saying is this, it's a definite case oh, of yeah. the, it being all men, and they don't even in realize that they're being sexist, that yeah. saying, like, anti-female things all the time yeah, are sexist, and it then influences people's thinking. Kids are watching the show and I everything. Know. And I know it, things like that kind of are changing, but it's the kind of thing where when people complain about Hollywood not having a lot of management-type jobs for women or or people uh, of different races not being well-represented, you kind of get this attitude that we see in many, many, many of these episodes because it really... Every single episode, mm-hmm. there are just these anti-female things that are just kind of laughed at and chuckled yeah, at. Yeah, they just laugh and, at women and, all the and time. And it's not a, there's no, I'm not talking double standard, there's no, very few anti-male things yeah. that are on the same level. No, there are. Yeah. So back to this episode. So Alice, in the, the subplot in this is uh, the Poor meat, Alice is the trying to ball. recover from her, in bed from her sprained ankle, and she, she was all excited because she was going to go to the meat cutter's ball with Sam. And I would say this is the first episode where Sam's character was really developed, oh, yeah. in a way. He's annoying. It, he is annoying. Annoying. It's confusing to me a little. Have they ever heard of takeout? If they can't yeah. cook, just get fucking and takeout. And why on TV every night. can't people cook? Have you ever noticed I don't know, that it's, it's this big jokey thing? It's not hard to cook, even if you've never cooked before, because recipes are laid out. It's easy to follow a recipe. Anybody can make a sandwich. I know. Anybody can boil water. And, of course, Alice is reading a book called All My Love. Yes, yeah, so Sam's head of the Meat Cutters Union, so he has to go to the mall. Right. And so he's going to bring That's one of his other... Deal. Well, he didn't even loves. say he was going to bring someone else. He just said to her, is it okay if I go without you? And she said, okay. But then after he left, she started crying. And, and then it's she, like, and it's the only time you see her crying. Usually they have this joke where it looks like Alice is crying, and then it shows she's chopping onions. And this is one of the few times Aww, that she's Alice. actually real crying. And then she calls all her girlfriends, who also knows Sam, to see if he's asked any of them to the ball, and he hasn't. Yeah. And Mike, in an unusually sensitive twist, goes to the butcher shop to discuss the situation with Sam. Yes. But they both seem a little clueless. But also, though. Mike was getting a bunch of... Oh, that's right. He was buying a bunch lamb of steak. chops. Lamb he chops. Lamb he buys chops. steaks at the Which, end. That's right. Yeah, yeah, in fact, Sam doesn't even know Alice. anything's wrong with Alice, because he's like... Because Mike says something about yeah, the roast being weird. burned, and Sam goes, wow, it's not like Alice to burn a roast. And Mike which says... Which we know she actually did when she was the judge in the... That's right. And Mike says, well, it wasn't Alice. It was the girls because Alice is laid up. Oh, you didn't know Alice is laid up. I know. I thought that was weird. I know. Wouldn't like she have told him? Yeah, you would think, Maybe hey, I can't go to the ball. Maybe she thought would be better Maybe. They kind of gloss over that whole aspect of the plot. And Mike says, <laughs> we sprained Alice's love life, too. Ah. Uh, uh, but, you know, I feel bad for Alice. The family is very inappropriately... 
invested in Alice. As everybody always says, this is part of their insanity, where some little thing will happen, and everybody is becomes obsessed. Yes, there's another thing, and the kids try to the kids try to cheer her up. Yes, but they don't do a very good job job of it. it. And then keep annoying her when she's trying to lie in her bed and read. Right, and and right, and I'm like, she's reading a fucking book. I know. There's nothing worse. Well, there are a lot of things worse, but when you're reading a fucking book and people keep bothering you, and also then when Bobby and Cindy are, and Cindy says something about playing old maid, and Bobby's like, that was dumb, and I thought that was kind of a too nuanced a concept for somebody, a boy his age, to understand. Maybe, but maybe not. Yeah. But I did think that it's funny that he's only maybe uh, supposed to be like a year older than Cindy, and yet he's always he's smart enough to figure stuff out. She's still acting like a total like yes, a it's, fucking three year old. Yeah, it's the, uh, yeah, know. the you know because that's how little girls are. She's gonna go go from a dumb little girl to a silly, not very bright woman if she follows the role of how the women are portrayed in many of these episodes. So the girls suddenly learn to cook at the end. I don't understand. I know. Yeah, all of a sudden, yeah, they serve this great meal. So something happens where they learn to cook that we We aren't privy to. But maybe they're, they're... female hormones kicking in or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but, then, but then Sam shows up yes. to see Alice. Yeah, and they go to her room to make, make out. Oh, no, they go out to the patio to make out. Yeah. They go and out he gives her a nose gay, and she says, I've got the gayest gay- nose right in town. Right now I have the gayest nose in town. Yeah. Why is everyone in bed? It's like 8 o'clock at night. And I know, their bedtimes are always very weird related to, it's all the situation related. Stuff, yeah. yes. I know we see more of Sam than we have ever seen before, but it's very hard to pin down exactly what's going on with him in this. He has his stupid jokes. And a lot of annoying. stupid butcher puns. Remind me of Sister Catherine, who we had at St. Mary's, who used to tell us the pun is the lowest <laughs> form of humor. And then this it was. She is and correct. this is one thing I found but with this. Can, they can be pretty fun. One thing I found with this in some later episode, and this kind of just turns into a classic Battle of the Sexes episodes, is that the Battle of the Sexes episodes, they don't have a lot of places to go with the yeah. plot. And aside from talking about the gratuitous anti-female stuff, there isn't a lot of room to develop the plot yes. in these. I'm glad, though, Alice was happy in the end. I don't know why she's pinning her happiness on him, but whatever. But then we go from that into a... And that was one that's... And also it's one of the things Lloyd Schwartz talked about in his book that they found, and I think they're still feeling their way on it, that when they center an episode around one of the kids, it's like the episode's a little richer and they can yeah. do more. I mean, this wasn't a parent centered one it was kind of alice centered in a way but it didn't focus on any one kid and i think when they do that they have more trouble it was hard yeah it didn't the plot was kind of amorphous there basically yeah mom's not here and we can't do anything right and then they have the one the two shots of florence henderson off she must have been off doing some job yeah, or something. on the phone. On like the they, phone. And, like and then Mike, of course, tries, and I know this is earlier in, in this episode, but, you know, she calls to see how everything is, and Mike pretends everything's okay, and there's all this yelling and screaming, and everybody's interrupting him on the phone because all these horrible things are happening. Why doesn't he just tell her? All these horrible because things are happening. he can't be I know honest. they can't be honest. They cannot. They, can. uh, they have to, everything has to be secretive. But we go right from that one into a couple. Yeah. Character-centered so actually, episode twenty is centered on Marsha. Yeah, brace yourself, and this is a classic. So Marsha gets braces for one episode, and they keep stressing 
maybe this is Robert Reed's reality influence, but they keep stressing how you only have to wear them for a short time. You're only going to have to wear them for a short time because they're to correct some mysterious fictional issue she has with her teeth. And I think they're saying that because next episode she does, she never has braces on oh, again. yeah. I never noticed that. Yeah. Oh, so she only has braces for this one episode. Uh, that's weird. Carol gives her a Mike-like lecture. I know. And says, you'll be prettier than ever. Yeah. Like, that's what she should worry about. Instead of being like, oh, you'll only have them on for a short time. And then when they're off, you'll be prettier than ever. Why don't you well, say, you know what? Well, the whole point of the show is that there's nothing more important than to Apparently. be attractive. And then Mike gives the kid, other kids a lecture in the den, and she's oh, yeah. right there in the kitchen, because she was right in there in the kitchen. I said, Mike has a lecture, any excuse. <laughs> but he gives them a lecture about how she's their sister, and they have to make her feel pretty, and that the braces don't make a difference, and he gets some pushback from the boys on that. And then he lectures Marsha about beautiful women who wore braces, like supposedly Cleopatra and stuff, instead of telling her that there are more important things to worry about right now. And then like, Alice... There were beautiful women that wore, gla- wore braces. And, and, and then our poor Alice moment of the episode... She tells Marcia that she used to wear them herself, and, you know, she'll be more... Be- and and look how great she turned out. And, of course, Marcia starts to cry yeah. because, ha, 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 Alice isn't beautiful, uh, ha, yeah. ha. And that is that easy misogyny again. But this is also, remember earlier, I was talking about the evolution of Alice. And I actually start kind of with the tiger-tiger thing, where she is turning into the one yeah. who actually has kind of compassionate, understanding yes. discussions with the kids and in Lloyd Schwartz's book, Brady, 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 where he's talking about how people would say, come on, who has a maid? And he talks about how they had a maid. Yeah. And she was this very loving, compassionate person that they would go to with their problems. Yeah. And you almost see a little, almost uh, with Alice turning into that person who's the one person who's able to talk to the kids on their level and actually has compassionate and understanding things to say. There's a little too little of it. Yeah. But it is a role that's developing yes, in these two. And then Marcia says, and, you know, so everybody starts, like, giving her fake praise and stuff, and Marcia keys into it pretty quickly. Yeah. Well. And she says, I wonder if I can ever believe anyone, anything anyone in this family ever says to me again. I'm like, no shit. No, you can't. Because there's so much trickery and lying all and the time. And then, so then Alan, Anthony, her boyfriend, he's going to bring her to the dance calls and cancels because he says his family's going out of town. Huh. She doesn't believe. Oh, no, he doesn't call. He comes over. Yes. Because she starts yelling at him. And like one of my favorite things, she's screaming at him. And she says, I hate you, Alan Anthony. I hate everybody. And then she <laughs> runs upstairs. And I'm like, yeah, I get uh, it. I, I identify. And he's just like, what? Yeah. He has no clue. And one thing, too. And by the way, he looks like a young Jim Parsons, don't you think? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Because his eyes are kind of very wide. Yeah. But one thing, at one point, Mike says, you know that the encyclopedia says, I think that's when he's telling her about Cleopatra and stuff, and I wonder if that was either a a knock at Robert Reed by the script writer because he's always pulling out his encyclopedia to make points, or if he decided to say that. He must have had the Encyclopedia Britannica in his dressing room. The whole set of it, all 26. And if people are too young to remember, they would take up a whole bookcase. That would be, they were... They were big. There were 26. Yeah, 26 volumes, yeah. usually. Sometimes they threw N and O together yeah. and it was weird. Well, they would put the smaller letters yeah. together. But still, they were at it least 20 volumes. It took up a whole shelf. Yeah, they would take up a whole shelf. But 
then what happens is oh, yeah. the old time, the old time TV sitcom Mike thing Carol never, this never ever works, where you convince people or pay them or whatever to go out with somebody to make the person feel better. Out. The person always finds out. Spoiler alert. And like, so Greg has this friend Joey. Mm-hmm. That's he swore off girls. But he loves wrestling. Mm. And so Greg invites him over. He, cause he used to Actually, he says he loves karate, but then they're wrestling. It was very confusing to well, him. Well, he was wrestling Greg pretty freaking Yeah, they were. Boy. Yeah, they were he zealously. He was into j- wrestling but Greg. But then Greg was going to tutor him on his physics or algebra or some yeah. thing. So, but then Greg yeah. said, mm, he didn't know if he had time. Unless... Unless you take Marsha to the dance. Yeah. And then Alice... Sees this delivery boy who I thought Eddie looked, looked a little old. old. Yeah, he had the little fuzzy I mustache. I thought he was too old for Marsha. I think Marsha's like 13. Yeah, I think he'd be um, Marsha's bad boy. He'd take her out. And Alice is acting really creepy around I know. Eddie. Like, I think like Alice would like that. I know. Like, she was going to seduce him or yeah, something. It, yeah. He, he didn't seem to. But think. Alice pay, literally pays him to ask Marsha yes, out. Yes, she does. Yeah. And then um, Mike and Carol get this kid. Some kid that's super shy. Super shy. Some friend of theirs. And all three boys show up at the same time to ask Marsha to the dance. It's kind of like the dating game. They're all sitting there on the couch. And Marsha at first is... She's kind of excited. She's excited. Uh, She goes, somebody's trying to tamp it down. I know. I want to see what they want. I'm like, yeah, maybe a four-way. Mike's trying to get rid of her. Yeah. Trying to get rid of them before she sees it. And then this is what I call something that is emerging that we can talk about in many episodes. So it's come Brady and Logic, where Carol says, I guess it was a bad idea, you know, to set up. Yeah. And Mike says, how could it be when three people had the same idea? <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, then it wasn't a bad idea. Brady and Logic. <laughs> yes, they were very, very invested in the, her relationship. Yes, and it's Alan usual. also says, when Alan comes back. And ends up, he's not going out, and the trip was canceled. Right. Yeah. And he comes back, and so Mike has to get her. She's upstairs. And Alan says, gee, your daughter sure spends a lot of time upstairs. And Mike's answer is, that's how girls are. <laughs> get used to it, kid. They're always spending time upstairs. God knows, those crazy girls. And so he tells her that he wants to go to the dance, and she's like, how much did they pay? Yeah, which and is a legitimate confused. question. Yes. But he's a good actor, the yes. little boy. He's a sweet, he's, he's a sweet boy. Cute. And then it turns out he has braces, too, because he knocked his teeth, he fell off his bike, and they both laugh. Uh-huh. And then he says, I like this quote, Marsha, you act real crazy sometimes, but you're still the grooviest looking girl in school. And she's all excited. And that's all that matters, really. No, he couldn't say, Marsha, I really like you. I don't I care know. what you look like. Right. Like it could have been a Bridget you. Jones diary moment where I love you just the way you are, but instead it's maybe you're nuts, but you're the grooviest looking girl in the whole school, so I like you anyway. And all you men out there who listen, if you're the kind of guys where oh, I just don't understand women, here's a clue. If you think a woman acts fucking crazy, but you want to go out with her because she's groovy looking, <laughs> you're going to pretty much get what you're yeah. asking for. Just because somebody's groovy looking doesn't mean they're going to be the kind of woman you want. And she may even realize that you don't like her for who she is. You only like her because she's groovy looking. Well, you know, in fact, more than one guy has complained. That you're um, not groovy looking? No. Um, complaining about women only only liking them for what they money. can do for work or money. And I'm like, but... You only like them for their, you know, maybe if you dated someone that you didn't just date for shallow reasons, then they wouldn't date you for shallow reasons. You know what women really want? And I couldn't care less about a guy and his fucking money, even right now when I don't have any. I couldn't no, fucking me, care me less. Um, 
what women really want is somebody who listens to them, engages with them, who they can joke around with and have a conversation, who gets them, who doesn't have issues with the way they behave, who, like in Bridget Jones' diary, loves them for who they are. Yes. That's what women That's what we want. want. But, you know. It's not that hard. Well. It's, it, it's hard because men tend to be a little more self-involved in a lot of ways. As we'll see, no, I, and I know that I'm thrown out of gender generalization, we'll see that in the upcoming Harvey Klinger episode, which yes. is next week, where we'll talk about that very thing. Yes, we will. Not to spoil. Not to lecture too much. But, you know. I'm a mic. And part of the thing is, you know, you can say, oh, this was 1969 or 1970 and things have changed. But some of the basics of male-female relations, I mean, they're not as blatant as they were on this show. And this show certainly isn't some, like, anthropological documentary or something. But they were accepted attitudes at the time. Yeah. People wouldn't have liked the show so much. Right. And I think we've talked about this before, that we were kind of bothered as kids But we didn't live in a stereotypical gender-restricted, if you want to call it, household. You know, and I think a lot of the people we knew, we knew a lot of big families because we... Yeah, and it wasn't the, I think, went to Catholic school and stuff. But in any case, we take a nice right turn from that one into the hero. hero. A nice Pete-centered one. Pete-centered. Now, he's in this toy store. Looking yeah. at model airplanes. One nice thing, because I hate it when they, on these shows, when they only have an interest for one show for the sake of the plot. And one nice thing, I've seen several where Pete actually shows an interest in model airplanes. Yeah, yeah. And the little girl, I think she's looking at a kitty carryall. I could be wrong. Yeah. And she tries to climb the shelf, and Pete notices the shelf. And they have a nice close up of the hinge tearing yes. from the wall. And Pete, because he's that kind of guy, immediately tackles her out of the way in and the shelf vault. And saves her. And at first he doesn't even realize what a great thing he did. Because he's just, he's just easy going. Well, now the store owner is like, how did that wall fall? Yeah, he's thinking, And I'm like, hey, idiot, if a 40-pound girl can pull the shelf down. There's something wrong there. It wasn't secured very well. And the mother, the mother and the store owner are both like, Really overacting. No offense to the actors. Yeah, they're probably they dead chew now. Chew up though. the scenery. One of my, you know, I'm I'm always going to bring up the journalism angle. <laughs> the news. So the mom, who's way overdressed for a trip to the and toy store, and she looks like old. She looks, well, little girl. As somebody who's how old are you? Fifty two, and you have a six year old. Yeah. Maybe people in glass houses shouldn't <laughs> throw <know>. stones, right? <laughs> but you look very young for your age. Yeah, whatever. Because you're not wearing like is something you'd wear well, to go to the opera. The, people always toy looked store. older back then. Yeah, anyway. Anyway, when she's telling Pete what a great thing he did, yes. and she decides she's going to call the newspaper because the newspapers are always full of things kids do that are bad, but you never hear of, of good things like this. No, of course you never hear of good things in the newspaper. I hate the gratuitous newspaper bashing. I know. You know, and especially for people who depend on the newspaper a lot, like the Bradys. I know. I mean, you know, anytime you see a newspaper, it's because they need it for something. Remember that, people, especially back in the 60s and 70s when you didn't have your internet and stuff. I know, I know. See, I thought the newspaper people well, were very first realistic. Of all, <laughs> the reporter calls him my photographer. Yeah, well, thanks for pointing that out because I was going to say, that is, if you're in the news biz, that is a big no-no. Photographers, go figure, hate it when a reporter refers to the photographer as my photographer. Because, guess what? The reporter and photographer both work for the same people. The photographer doesn't work for the reporter. Photographers are very sensitive uh, flowers. 
Oh, so before that happens, though, before the newspaper people come over, Peter goes home. First he tells Greg and Bobby and, what happened, yeah, and they don't, and they believe, don't believe him. him. And then he tells Mike and Carol. And they do believe and him. They, and he's so cute because Mike says something like, well, you wouldn't be making up that story. And he goes, well, I would make up a story like that, but I'm not this time or something. <laughs> and he's just, he's just an adorable kid. And, and then Bobby apparently calls Cindy a dum-dum, which I yeah. thought was funny. <laughs> um, because they never, kids aren't allowed to call each other names no, they do all the time on this one, though. I kind of like, and everybody laughs when he. Uh, yes. And so they're proud of him. And they all tell him in their own little ways how proud they are of yes. him and stuff. And then the newspaper. And then the newspaper, up. this, this like, very sleazy <laughs> kind of newspaper. Maybe that's the all way they are all, in L.A. All the reporters are like yeah. that. And maybe well, one of the things, all gay, apparently. One, one of the things is I have a, this is something I see for a lot of things on the show that it's a Hollywood scriptwriter's idea of what a newspaper yeah. reporter yeah, would be like, and how they'd operate. And again, I know it's not a documentary. Yeah, I do. And you know this too. This whole episode. Because things go downhill after the story gets in the paper yeah, for Peter. Yeah, so he gets, he gets a, big head, a big head. And that's yes. a Peter theme that we'll see throughout yes. the years is it that again, his yes. intentions are good, his heart is big, he's a sweet guy, but then things go just go wrong for him because he just can't he t- well, he handle has, shit. He can't just do something halfway. He has no. to like go all in yes, and he that goes it causes bad And things. also there's a little aside here that Lloyd Schwartz in his books talk, talks about what a bad ear Christopher Knight had. Yes. Like he couldn't sing. He but couldn't also imitate. He, like, and Lloyd, one of the ways Lloyd helped the kids learn was he would say the line to them the way they were supposed to say it. And he had a very bad ear. And Pete has a line in here, sure makes a guy feel funny when his brothers are proud of him, but he puts the emphasis on the wrong words. And I'm like, I wonder if that was one of those. Ins- yeah, I wonder. Because he doesn't say, sure makes a guy feel funny when his brothers are proud of him. He yeah. says in a very weird way, but it's cute. I don't know what point in the show this happened, but Mike calls his, well, he calls it the den, but it's like his, his office. His study. He calls it his off-limit sanctuary. Yes, he does. They're in there, either Greg or Marsh is in there to get away from Peter. Oh, that's And he right. says, what are you doing in my, my off-limit off sanctuary? sanctuary? And whichever one it is, Greg or Marsh, or maybe both of them say we're trying they to get away from Pete. They both were in there, yeah. Pete, we're we can't, from oh, they're in there talking about, yes, Pete, about Pete, the problem of Pete. And at some point, there's a double lecture, Mike and Carol lecture Yes, Peter they double together. team. But before that, I want to say there are two... Well, there's one thing that kids today, the young people today, won't recognize rubber cement. When Pete's clipping the stuff out to put in the scrapbook and he's using the rubber oh, cement with yeah. the brush. Which is, it, it's, yeah, you can't. It's I guess cancerous. it causes cancer and shit. Too bad. We had so much fun with rubber cement. So, Pete, after the stories in the paper and everything, the girl's mom comes over and tells him that she wants him to go to the toy store and pick out anything he wants and he can have whatever he wants. Right, and in a nice twist. Carol and Mike, or Carol probably, I can't remember who, has Greg and Marsha bring yes, them to the toy which store. Which is interesting. Right, because they, they're busy doing yeah. Carol and Mike stuff, which Playing is good because then you get the... Having sex. Then you they get they the Greg, Marsha, sarcastic asides. Yes, thing, they were. Which I kind of like they're because... They're rolling their eyes. I can relate more to, like, yes. people like that teaming up than the three boys of different yes. ages teaming up yes. against the three girls I, of different ages. It would the be two older kids, yeah. right, rolling their eyes at, at silly Pete, and who ends up buying well, it, everything the in the mother, store. First of all, 
She was irresponsible. She was irresponsible. I know she was grateful. You know, one thing. Don't give him the whole fucking store. So then the delivery man, who's Ike from the Waltons. Joe Conley. I had to look him up. Joe Conley. He's almost like he's in a different TV show here. He's so... He comes on so strong to Alice. I'm afraid he's like a serial killer. Oh, that's gross. Hey, beautiful. Hey, gorgeous. Well, you know, poor Alice doesn't get a lot of compliments. So he delivers all this shitload of toys. But we forgot an important thing. First, he's in the newspaper for the story. Right, they do a, but then they he wins a person of the... the outstanding out, citizen of the month or, or something, something from the paper. And he wins $50. Yes. So he wants to, with the $50... Grow himself a party. Because he did, at this point, they made him return everything. Because they were piled, it was like boxes and boxes like and boxes of shit. Like the whole fucking shit. store. Oh, like, yeah. I don't know how much the woman spent, but yeah. Jesus Christ. Yeah. So, so then he's in the paper again, so his head gets big again. And he's going to throw himself a party, and there's a cute scene with him calling his friend. And nobody wants and to nobody come. And nobody wants to come. Nobody but he looks like she's in the Brady's bedroom. Did you notice that? Yes, like she the does. Background looks like she does. And he's They're but all he's like, so oh, like that big kid. He's like, I'm going to check with my mom. I know. And then he, and then he goes, dump, dump, dump. I thought that was classic. <laughs> and he, but Pete, being Pete, doesn't realize that they're all giving him the big brush off. And then in a, in a scene you'll see played out many ways in many different episodes in the future, there he is all dressed oh, up in his little suit. Oh, and you know, the thing is, I was thinking, he could have said instead of saying and they say who's the party for he goes it's for me so saying that he could have said something like I'm going to use this money to throw everyone a party because I'm so you know you guys have been so nice to me yeah, about I being know. a hero I want to pay you back well, of course and of course we didn't we didn't mention that previous to this there was a scene in his backyard where he's telling the story and he's embellishing and a and lot of these same kids are in the backyard listening right. and rolling their eyes so. yes and, and his siblings are listening like through Marcia the and Greg glassless and window oh, and yes. rolling their eyes so no one shows up to his party. Oh, and you feel bad. Poor little He goes upstairs. And he learns his lesson. He learns his lesson, and then all his siblings come to the party. But Mike and Carol realize he's setting himself up for a fall. Yes, and they, they let him They let him because that's their way. Because he's And I thought it was a little harsh, and you wonder how things like that are going to affect him for the rest of his life. But that's the way they do that's it. That's the Brady way. They, they way overdid building him up, too. Everybody way overdid building him up. Over the thing, and then they wonder know. how his head got. Oh, and there. I wrote my Mike. Mike is very glad. This is on my notes. Mike is very glad Peter's learning a lesson. This is his favorite thing. Yes, it is. It, it is. is. Mike kind I of mean, a it's vindictive. It, you know, he's always like, "Oh well, you know, he's yeah. got to learn this lesson." I know. He's kind of he's a vindictive kind of, he is. jerk he's in, he's in a sadistic. sick way. He's yeah. Sadistic. We go from that nice Pete-centric episode to another Marsha. Marsha. One of the possible dream. And I want to say um, there is a special guest, celebrity guest, Desi Arnaz Jr., who was very big back then. Yes, he was. He's cute as a button, appears at the end. And with this, and I've always felt this way about shows, and we'll talk about it more on our next season, The Mod Squad with the Sammy Davis Jr. episodes, I always feel like whenever a celebrity is tossed into a show, it's a little jarring. Yeah, it brings the show out of itself. Himself, he is though. playing himself, but even when someone plays themselves, it's just like, well, it's a, a one-track... shitty actor. But I feel like it's kind of this, just this one-track thing yeah. where everybody just kind of reacts, even whether the person's playing themselves or like Sammy yeah. Davis Jr. and the Mod Squad of Priest or whatever. Oh, here's this celebrity, so we're just going to sit here and beam and react yeah. to this celebrity being here. Yeah. But this is another poor, this poor, dumb, dumb, dumb little Cindy. 
Poor stupid, stupid, stupid Cindy. Sorry, Cindy. And again, when we say that, we're not crapping on Susan Olson, who did a fantastic job of playing somebody whose IQ was about half of what hers is. And I don't know how she could stand it. I don't either. And I do notice in the second season they She's when we talk still about that next week. But she is numb as a hake, as yeah, we say in Maine. Maine. Yeah, but so hake. first of all, Marsha's writing in her diary in the garage. And I felt like first of all, okay, maybe she doesn't want her sisters to see what she's doing, but you don't hide a fucking diary in the garage. Even if you're gonna write in it in the garage know, that's weird. you hide it somewhere where you know you have access, you know somebody else you know, under your mattress or if that's too obvious you find somewhere in your it is kind of weird, but... You don't... Well, it's necessary for plot purposes. And frankly, you know, and she fantasizes in it about being met Mrs. Desi Arnaz Jr., blah, blah, blah. And frankly, when we were that age, we all had crushes. And I think it's part of a girl kind of playing out her growing interest in men and her crushes and stuff. And Like, she doesn't really want to marry yeah. the guy. But it is something you don't want people yeah, to see. So she, Especially if you have brothers. Right. So she writes it in her diary. And then Cindy being well, Carol. Well, at one point, like, Carol's giving these boxes of books to the... Books for poor people drive yeah, or whatever, friend yeah. in need drive or whatever. And I, there was one funny line where she goes, there was a botany books. And she's like, that was my husband's brief botany period. And I had this kind of little fantasy of that. She's talking about her first husband, Mr. Martin, and giving away all his shit. But, you know, instead it was Mike and he had this brief botany period that we were never yeah, privy to. Interesting. The guy's leaving with a box oh, yeah. of books and Carol's disappeared into the ether somewhere. Yeah, leaving her daughter alone and with this Cindy, strange man. Right, and Cindy being very helpful is like, hey, Mr. Hey, Miss Third, you forgot one. And it somehow sees Marsha's diary. Maybe she's looking for something. I can't remember. She was looking for her ball. She was looking for her ball. Right, because it bounced funny off that astroturf. So she gives him the diary, puts the diary yes. on top of the box of books, and he goes trundling off with the box of books. And uh-oh. So Marsha goes to write in her diary, apparently, and it's gone. Yeah. And she quickly finds out that Cindy's the one that gave it away because and Cindy, well, Cindy sees, it says diary on it. I don't know. Yeah. But Cindy didn't know what a diary was. Yes. And yeah, Cindy, a classic Cindy line, you know, because Marsha talks about writing your innermost thoughts. Cindy says, gee, I never had an innermost thought in my entire life. In the laugh track, laughs and laughs and laughs. But I think Marsha was more dumb to hide the diary than, than poor Cindy. Cindy was just trying to be helpful. This guy's singing books away. Fault. And then, of course, they have a scene up in the boys' room where Greg like is showing off. Greg's yeah. lifting like twenty pounds yeah. on the barbell. They're I'm like, like showing off. And then they start making fun of girls in their diaries. And then we get our actor Gordon Jump. Yes, which at first I thought his joke was about incest. What did he and say? That was weird. Well, first, what happens is Mike goes to the the charity and says. You know, someone picked up this box of books. There's a book in it that we we're looking for, and the guy gives them the runaround, and then says, "Well, these are they've already been distributed to these stores," and gives them a list. So they all most go, efficient charity ever. Yeah. So they go to all these stores. They do split up the list. Everyone's looking at all these stores. So Mike goes in, and Gordon Jump is working at the store. Yeah, he's the like a used bookstore. Yeah. And Mike's I'm looking for a diary. First he says, "Oh, your wife." And Mike's like, "No, it's not my wife. It's a young woman." Oh no one. 
then you don't want your wife to see it. And, and then he makes it, well, it's my daughter, and he goes, oh, that's yeah. what you're calling her. I'll yeah. have to try that one. Yeah, out. he's like, oh, that's what you're calling her. I've heard niece, and, and I've heard cousin, but never daughter. And I was like, is he making a joke about incest? And I'm no. like, oh, no, no I get it. I know. he's making a joke I, about having a mistress. It took me a minute to get yeah. it. I don't know why. But in any case, Mike doesn't find it there. And Cindy and Carol are, you know, a diary looks a certain way, but like, Cindy and Carol, they're like taking out every book and scrutinizing it. And it's like, you know those aren't diaries, folks. Come on, let's move along. But I also think there's a very cute little scene where Pete and Bob, they apparently went and got Marsha a new diary, and they're wrapping it to give it to her as a present, but they get explained to them a new diary doesn't matter. Although a new diary kind of might matter. Yeah. But she needs the old one back, which she does. Yeah. So we learn in the beginning of the show, when Marsha's talking about Desi Arnaz Jr., right. that Alice, of course, knows the housekeeper. Right. All those housekeepers Lucille know Lucille Ball's housekeeper, someone's housekeeper. Because Desi Arnaz Jr. was the son of, of Lucille Desi Ball Arnaz. Desi Arnaz. He was, what a coincidence that he was Desi Arnaz's son, and he has the same name. I'm just thinking some of our listeners who are younger may not know. So, yes. And yeah. he was a big star, and he's not anymore. I don't know what he does now. I looked him up. I mean, he's not that old. He was born in 1953. Yeah. So, he's... He was fairly young. He was like... Yeah, he was only it, like 17. Yeah, he was, he was a young. teenage heartthrob. He yeah. played the drums. So, Alice, feeling bad for Marcia, gets him to come over. Yeah, but we don't realize that. Yeah, we're not in on that until no. it happens. It's but also, Marcia does some jerking around of poor Cindy... Because oh, Marsha's horrible. To when there's hope that it'll be found, all of a sudden she's nice to Cindy again. Then she gives Cindy the cold shoulder for... And then she's nice to her. When they think And then she gets all pissed off at her again. And when poor they Cindy find it, they're is, never going to find it. It, it. Cindy is believable in her confusion about, you know, she wants things to don't go one way or the other. they find it at they the do. last... Oh, but we don't know that. We don't know we that. We don't know that. Okay. But before that... Cindy, Marsha's being nice to Cindy, no, being mean to Cindy yes. and yelling at her. Then they think maybe they're going to find it because they know where all these stores it's been at and they're yes. just going to go to the stores and find it. And Marsha's nice to Cindy, then it doesn't get found. Marsha's mean to Cindy and Cindy makes some very good points about, you know, she wishes it would get found or not just so Marsha will treat her Aww, one way or the other. poor Cindy. It shows a little insight for the girl who claimed to have no innermost thoughts. So then, somebody's at the door. Marsha doesn't want to see anybody, but being the polite girl, she is sent out there. And who is it but Desi Arnaz Jr.? Yeah. And I, it would have been too much if he had had the diary, so I'm glad they, I'm didn't, glad they didn't do, do that. that. And he's not the best actor. No, he's world. not. But he had huge round brown eyes. Oh, he's very cute. And like his dad. His dad dimples. was cute. Yeah, you know, um, he says... I did girls like you who write down their dreams. And I'm like, yeah, you perv. Although he is only a few years older than her. I thought he was older for some Although reason. He seems I just generations. looked up the, his date of his age, and he was born in 53, and she was born in, like, 56. Maureen McCormick says that that was her favorite episode of the first season. She says, the last show of the first season was The Possible Dream. In it, Marsha loses her diary, blah, blah, blah. Desi guessed it on the show, and oh my God, he was so cute. I didn't have to act when I said I had a crush on him. Oh. And he kissed her on the cheek, and she went around with I'll her hand on her cheek. Again. I'll never wash again. And, and like, Carol makes a joke about it. Yes, yeah, she does, because she has Mike kiss her on the cheek. Because as usual, then, they're usually the end, frisky the tabs or whatever they call that end little... There's lots of friskiness. Yes, they're always pawing at each other, which is nice. I've said before. The next is a kid, all the kids show, To Move or Not to Move, episode 23. 
And at the very beginning, you know, when they're playing their rock music, that, and did you notice, and they have a portable record player in the room just like we did, but did you notice what Carol does that just made my hair stand on end, as it would have then? Oh, she yes. turns off the record player without taking the needle off the record, and it goes, <laughs> I mean, and you didn't do that because you scratched up your records. It was fine. No, if, it's funny because Greg's banging on the door because she had left their side of the, they have a Jack and Jill bathroom that has entrances from each room, and they had left the door. He wanted her to unlock the door and he was pounding on the door, but she couldn't hear him pounding because of the music. And I wrote, if he wanted to go that bad, there must be other bathrooms. The parents have a bathroom and Alice must have a bathroom. They must. And also, we never there's no see toilet. Them. Sometimes we see, no, we've seen Mike coming out of their bathroom. In their bedroom. Yeah, yes, yeah. yes. But they're probably forbidden to use any bathroom but that one. Right. So all of a sudden we have this issue that nobody's ever talked about before about the house being too small. Yeah. And Mike says it's fine, but it's easy for him to he's say. Because he has that giant desk. Because he has the biggest room in the house. And, you know, their bathroom doesn't even have a toilet. I know. And apparently he designed kid's He designed this house himself. It comes up in this show. Yes. You know, for that era, it's kind of a cool house, I have yes. to say. I like the kitchen. Yeah. I'm a kitchen designer, I feel like, yes, I kind of like the, the 70s, the, 70s the 60s avocado. Yeah. I feel like. The space in the living room is not it's used weird. well. Yeah. It's, it's, it's weird. It's kind of cavernous. And they never use, they barely use that living room with all that space. But so anyway, the kids are tired of sharing a bathroom. Which, There's you know like what? Jan is I got, out here I for hours. Yeah, whatever. But yeah, but we grew up in a house with six children mm-hmm. and two adults with one, it only had one full bath and one half bath. Yeah. It is what it, it is. It sucks. Yeah, there's a lot of pounding on the doors. Yeah. My solution, get rid of Alex. Extra bedroom and bath. That's right. Sorry, Alice. So, Carol and Mike decide, and I guess they've looked at houses, and they could never find one that was right, but they decide it's time the old Wentworth house or some something or, that they've had their eye on. So, Mike just goes and, like, makes a offer on well, it. that's what And they tells did her back after then. the fact. And so, they're all excited because they're going to move, but then the kids start having second having thoughts. Second thoughts and the and girl, it's funny how the girls say they'll miss sharing the bathroom with the boys. They'll miss having the boys right next to them. But the boys... The boys aren't talking the about girl. that at all. The boys are just talking about their memories of injuries suffered yes. uh, at various times. Because they have house. apparently always lived in this house. Yeah. Even though in the pilot. And, but we and know. then at some point the kids decide they don't really want to move, but instead of just saying they don't want to move, well, they, they have can't. to employ Brady-style And I thought trickery. it was weird that Tiger's howling at the moon. I think that's the last appearance of Tiger, even though he's not really shown. It's less reference to yes. him. Is it, yeah. is it? I think so. I think yeah. so. Yeah. But I'm like, no one's ever heard him howling at the moon before. And it doesn't sound like a dog howling at the moon. Yeah. So there's these mysterious noises. Which Mike mansplains. And he says suddenly. it's the rainy season. I'm like, what, where do they live? Kenya? Brazil? Maybe in California they have a and rainy And I'm like, why is the house falling apart? I mean, yeah, it's, it's settling. <laughs> and then he has to say to the realtor, when the man of the house is gone, well, two women and six kids yeah, can know, hear every noise that. in the world that never existed. I know. Those silly women and those... I thought it was funny that that they're in the family room watching TV or something, and Alice is in there with them. Yeah, and she tries to make Peter. And go yeah, off and she goes, "You're the man," and he goes, "No, I'm just the middle boy." <laughs> He's like 11 years old. Go out and check that noise. I know. 
<laughs> but in any case, the realtor <laughs> calls Mike and says that Mrs. What's her name? Hunsaker, and she actually does a Mrs. good job. Mrs. Hunsaker, who's she, Fran Ryan, the late great Fran yes, Ryan, who's been was she's many, in every and she's oh, actually so good in this. Things. But she liked the house from the outside and would like to see the inside, which makes me laugh because boy, is she going to be surprised? <laughs> Forget the friggin' ghosts and shit. That it won't make any sense. It won't make it. That's the supernatural Although, thing. Isn't it weird? Like when you when you look at houses a lot of times the outside will seem like either really big or really small and then you go inside and it's like wow it's a lot different in here yes so when mrs hunsaker comes so first of all the kids have gotten at this ploy to make the house seem haunted and they have alice and carol told although we don't know it's the kids yes where the trickery's on us yes at first first time ever does not we don't know what these mysterious at first but then we know we know before mrs hunsaker comes that the kids are the ones making these noises and stuff so Mike is at a meeting, and I'm like, how the fuck late is his meeting? Well, he's an architect. people are going to bed and shit. He has important meetings. And that's when he makes the remark about Because he keeps having, like, late-night meetings. Yeah, so that's when he makes the remark about the two women and six kids. Because everyone is is in bed or going to bed, and his client isn't even there yet. That's not the night Mrs. Hunsucker comes. That's another night. Right. And then the realtor is bringing Mrs. Hunsucker over at 8 o'clock at night. And Mike's still not home. Yeah. So Mrs. Hunsucker is not impressed by the noises. No, she's not. And Mike is not fooled when no, he shows up. Because he's, he's the not man. an idiot he's not a like silly Alice woman. and Carol. The kids are making all the noises and shit. The real estate agents all a twi- a flutter there, and and Mrs. Hunsucker is like, ugh, what the fuck? Yeah. And um, <laughs> then Mike shows up and and gets to the bottom of yes, it pretty quick. And I'll tell you one thing, Robert Reed, and I think he's a good actor, but his acting is never so convincing than when he's angry. I know. You know, but even he, when he you know, yells at the kids for cutting holes tell in the you, seat. I keep saying it. I'll keep saying it. I still, and every, now that I've been reading these books, and I knew he wasn't happy on the show, but I did before, I had read that, but after reading, especially the Schwartz's book about how, how totally unhappy he was, I still have not. I have There's yet to really see a sign right. of it. He I looks, look for it now. No, he I look for it. But and when he, he acts very good, when he no, is angry, like when he's yelling at the kids for cutting holes in the sheets yes. to be ghosts, he he seems yeah, like he's, he's kind of scary. And then they decide to stay in the house. And I eventually, Mrs. Hunsaker buys the one that they were looking at. Yeah, so everybody's she happy. Likes it. But oh. what kills me is why does Mrs. Hunsaker need such a big friggin' house? And that's what I wondered. Because she talks about her adult children. Yeah. She's very forgiving of their. Unlike BB, unlike BB Galini, not like BB. Yeah, she. It, Mrs. Hunsaker thinks it's touching that they want to stay. Right. But then the issue until season five. Of the house being too small. No, there's another there's another episode where it comes up. Okay, okay, remember. but what I'm saying is for this particular episode, they just decide they're going to stay. Yeah. Mike, the architect, never says. If I were Mike, I'd say, then you guys better enjoy sharing your bathroom and shut the fuck up about it. Yeah, or he never says, well, let me, because I'm such a brilliant architect, figure out a way to make the space. That comes up, too. In a later episode. But in yes, this episode, what I'm saying is That's the true. problem isn't really solved because at the beginning we see yeah. it's almost unbearably unlivable. That's true. The only episode of at least these, this you era correct. of the show that we see how unbearably unlivable, the rest, everybody's getting along fine. But yes, that's true. But at the end it's just, oh, they're all happily going to stay there and the problem still isn't solved. And why is the downstairs so big and the upstairs so small? They have that atrium ceiling. Oh, in that's the right. Room. The cathedral. Yeah. 
Yeah, you're right. I mean, their yard is extremely small. They do use it quite a bit. I know they do. So the next one. Oh, 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 oh. Classic, classic battle of the sexes. Grass is always greener. The grass is always greener. It is quite a battle of the sexes. It seems like every few episodes they have to do a battle of the sexes. And this was, you can tell, was filmed earlier because Florence Henderson has that bouffant wig on. Right, so it's almost like from early. It was one of the, maybe the original and the, the one thing i thought was funny is they're talking about baseball players yeah willie mays makes one hundred twenty-five thousand a year and he's underpaid yeah willie mays oh. and you know this is the old prince and the pauper freaky friday they're not the first ones to do this yeah. although they don't actually change bodies but they change but it's roles. like oh what you're and doing is so much easier yeah alice says hey you should you should try it now although um, alice quickly removes herself from yeah the, uh, alice causes so mike has to mansplain about well let's set it up first so mike is teaching him well mike has thing. to teach yeah he's helping the boys with baseball every saturday Carol's helping Marsha with her Girl Scout badges or yes, whatever they are, merit which badges. seems Jan and Cindy seem to have to be involved with that, which, as we know, your siblings normally aren't hanging around with you when you're doing that yeah. shit. But in any case, and they're both kind of bitching about how hard it is to do help the kids with the things they're helping them with, and that's the setup. And Alice, which, as far as I'm concerned, doesn't really seem that hard. But. No, neither of the things seem hard. But Alice has to say, well, why don't you switch? And they decide they're going to. Yeah, and I have to say... To prove a point. Right, and the point they end up proving is, I think, at the end, is this episode serves more to cement gender stereotypes yeah. than it does to make them have empathy for the other person. And somebody who knows nothing about baseball isn't going to be able to teach people how to bunt. I know. Bunting is a very specific, skilled part of baseball. And so Carol, even if she knew about baseball, and it has nothing to do with her gender. I know. But Marsha's doing a cooking badge, and somebody who knows nothing about cooking can follow a fucking recipe or figure things out. So it's not even... It's not. It's apples and oranges to begin with. It is. But it makes, once again, because so, yeah, my, sports my, is frequently used as a gender division it is, it is, on this show. Stupid. Serena Williams could, could tell him a thing or two about that. Yes. She sure. Because she's the fucking best. Could. Right. That's right. Fucking pregnant. And still. Yes. And uh, who's her opponent? Like, she's 37 and she's still beating everybody. Anyways, I'll talk about my tangent. But I have in quotes, so I think Mike must say it, that girls are the gentler sex. Because Carol says that girls are really hard to deal with. Yeah, and because girls are the gentler sex, they're not as, it's not as strenuous physically to deal with. So Mike informs the boys that Carol's going, going to help them learn and how Greg, to bond. I think it's Greg. Dad, she's a girl, a female. Yeah. It's stupid to have Carol coach the boys when she knows nothing. It's annoying. Right, and it's not because she's a woman. No, it's she just she doesn't nothing. know about baseball. Like, there's that. Well, who was that guy that played for the Expos? Whose mother? His mother used to coach him because she played on or, one of no, the. No, Gary Carter. There's a book that's really good. It's fictionalized, but it's a really good book called The Sweetheart Season about a woman's team. Yes. It's much better than yes. that stupid the movie, movie with Gina Davis. That wasn't and the Madonna. movie. That wasn't based on that book. No, I don't think. no, it was just based on the concept of the all girls. But in any case, for instance, Dad wouldn't be able to teach somebody to bunt because he doesn't know how. He wasn't a baseball no. player and he doesn't know how to bunt. No. You know, Mike may have been, but it, teaching, coaching 
a specific sport has nothing to do with your no. gender. And the boys obviously know how to do it better than Carol, so why do they need and her and help? And they're, of course, they're making fun of her right. in a way they're, they're, they're allowing setting her, her up yes, to look stupid. Up. And she shouldn't fight on that astrogen. No. In fact, it's hurt in fact, Barry Williams mentions in his book that many people had scabs and bandages yes, and green it, it, smudges because they had to paint it all the time yeah. because it wasn't real astrogen. Yeah, it was a precursor. It, to right. Well, not a pre. He says precursor, but actually the Astrodome was built before I the show. I think it's had, just we sell at loads of those fake grass yeah, just carpets, fake, yeah. yeah, which are very popular, by the way. Okay, so Mike goes to the grocery store to buy stuff for Marsha's cooking bag, and he buys every kind of potato they but have. Shouldn't that be part of her bag? Not but only when I should think, plan it, go right. buy it. I, would I mean, think, I, I would and think not only that. that but, first of all, later he's mansplaining about how much more organized I men know, are than I women. Know. And yet he buys every fucking kind of potato. Well. And the thing is, if you're making a meal, you know, and this isn't rocket science, and a smart guy like him can figure it out, that you go to the store with a grocery list, and you know because you're following a recipe or whatever what kind of potatoes you but need. But it sounded like Marcia just wrote down the list, but didn't say what type. Well, she should have gone. But that should be part of the bag. I would think. I would think but so. But it would leave out the very humorous scene of Mike unloading the grocery yeah. bags and Alice and I, getting all for What the fuck is she making? <laughs> Potatoes and beans? And yeah, apparently. And I have to say that, again, my evolution of Alice theme continues because she's the only sensible one throughout the yeah. through this episode. She's the voice of she sense stayed out and of it. common sense she does. But now I wrote in my notes that I keep noticing the back of Bob Reed's head. Because, because they Lloyd Schwartz. Lloyd Schwartz. It reminded him of Spiro Agno. He didn't want his father to hire Bob Reed in the first place because the back of Bob Reed's head was weird and went right down into his neck and it reminded him of Spiro Agno. And I had Agno. never noticed that. It must have been around this scene that they showed the back of his head when he's talking. I, know. I, I noticed it does go like straight down. a weird shaped head. One good thing is it's nice to see that the girls have learned something about cooking since the big sprain episode. Yes, they have. Even though that was, I think, filmed um, after. I would like to know why Cindy is wearing a two-year-old's dress. I know. Because one thing I noted with the diary episode, which was filmed... She had pants on. After this one, the girls were dressing more normally and not wearing dresses and stuff yeah. all the time, but were wearing jeans and shirts and stuff. But yes, yeah, Cindy's back And I do in, notice they wear the same things over and over yes, again. Yes, so like Mike wears a blue velour shirt in almost well, every Greg episode. Greg wears that plaid... The orange. green plaid. Is it green? Yeah. Uh, and then um, there's one that Jan wears a lot, and Marsha wears that little romper a lot, which is refreshing because the, their kids yeah, and they would just wear normal. But I remember in later episodes, Greg has that striped shirt because yes, he wears it I know, all the time. I and um, I like how dismayed Mike is that Alice wants to watch Oh, yeah, cook. he didn't like yeah. that. No, because he'd be shocked. But in real life, Ambie Davis did not cook. Oh, I didn't know she that. She was not good at cooking. That's a fun fact. I wrote Mike mansplaining once again about how organized the kitchen is. Well, after they make this whole mess. You only go to the refrigerator And there's an interesting once. note. He drops at one point a whole dozen eggs. And I can tell you, that's when it helps to have a dog. Because once, especially my dog Dewey, he would have had that cleaned up in 30 seconds. I know. Seconds. Where was Tiger but then? Mike, uh, Robert Reed argued, in classic Robert Reed fashion, that the eggs wouldn't be slippery They'd be sticky, but then he slipped in them and fell. He actually fell. And he actually fell, and he had the good grace, according to Lloyd Schwartz, to, to say something like, I think I deserve that. Or, right. And it's funny because when we were going to do this show, I watched most of the five seasons, like a couple months ago, but... 
obviously, you know, remember right. stuff, and I wasn't taking good notes. So before we record, I rewatched. Right. In the interim, I had read that book and read that. So I noticed that he didn't really fall, and yeah. he really looked like he hurt himself. Yeah, he blushed. He, he turned red. Yeah, yeah. he was yeah. just like, ugh. I also noticed a thing in this scene. There's a scene where, um, like, Marsha's annoyed that Cindy wants to watch. And they kind of have a little back and forth and then stick out their tongues at each other. And it seemed very natural. And I've noticed, yes. and I don't know if it's the director or somebody else, but I notice more and more, and we'll talk about it next week with the, when Greg makes the movie, there seem, seem to be some natural ad-libbed parts. And when they do that... Um, it comes off as just so natural yeah. and realistic. And I wondered if the sticking out their tongues was something the kids, you know, Marsha kind of goes, eh, and Cindy goes, eh. And yeah. It, and it was cute, and it was just, you know, that I, that I, you just feel like wasn't a scripted thing. When Mike's head ends up inside the bucket, <laughs> he tries to mop the floor. Yeah, yeah he's going to do it in 15, seconds, 15 minutes because men are so organized. And I know, and I know that Lloyd Schwartz and Sherwood Schwartz, I know they had issues with Robert Reed, and Lloyd, I think, says that he wasn't good at physical comedy and he wasn't naturally funny. And maybe he's not, but, but I thought a lot of funny. times he's funny. But uh, aside from the funny stuff, when he's talking about the no, no organization, he's like, that's the trouble with women. And again, as the first season has gone on, these negative generalizations Although about he does prove that he's women, full of shit. Yes, on every single show, but like I said, yes, he's made to look foolish, but it doesn't counteract the underlying negative, yes, constant yes. drumbeat negative things about women. And and like I said, just because Carol and Mike are made to look foolish when they try to do the other's thing, it doesn't give them empathy. It kind of cements the gender yes. division. Yes, it does. You know, and it says, the show says much more negative things yes, about women than men, this yeah. one. And, and a lot of people might say, well, you know, if it's written by men and this is how people thought... But in a lot of ways, it reminded me, um, but in speech class in high school, at the time there was an ad for Haynes stockings, and Joe Namath was in it, yes. remember? And he said, men prefer women yes, wearing Haynes or something like that. My friend Liz Nichols did a speech. We had to do a speech about a convincing speech, and, and she did a speech about how that was sexist. That if And she said something like, then he can wear them yes. or whatever. I think there was an ad where he was He wearing. was wearing them, yes. But this other kid in class, I'm not going to say his name, said, fuck you. <laughs> and I know. And the teacher, Mrs. Merrill, whose name I will say, and Liz was, if, if I remember right, a little myth that he said that. And Mrs. Merrill said, well, you have to understand, you know, men, and they don't want to hear. They have their point of view, too, kind of thing. And that's how I feel like when you do that, like with this it show, well, that's how men in the 60s were. And all yeah, the men yeah. writing a show and everything. And I feel like as long as people don't call it out. Yes. Especially now that we're watching it You don't accept it, it. Right. And people are still watching the show now. Yeah. You know? The show, you know, wasn't making the point that both sides had good oh, points no, to make. Oh, no. Of course it's not. So I also find it interesting that Although they always say that Alice is part of the family, she doesn't eat dinner with them. No, she doesn't. She serves them dinner. She serves them, them, and they actually kind of order her around, and she has to go get them stuff. Like so, Marcia made that meal that turned out good at the end. Yeah, where they them. had egg salad and tomato juice. But we were talking about Bob Reed and Maury McCormick, and the kids. And Lloyd Schwartz points out in his book, the kids didn't see a lot of the uglier. Yeah. Stuff that went on, and they certainly didn't read. I don't think his obsessive pages. No, and they they were unaware. But of a here's lot of that. but here's what Maureen McCormick says about him in her book. Here's the story on the set. Bob Reed 
waged a one-man war with Sherwood and Lloyd to keep the show from losing all credibility. He was always clear, even if people watched, the actors couldn't be insulted with scripts that defied reality. For Bob, the litmus test was always reality. Did it look real? Was it real? It was to his credit as an actor that he gave the silly comedy as much believability as possible. But it was a daily fight, and every so often he would blow up or send off a scathing memo to Sherwood, as he did after an episode titled The Impractical Joker, which we haven't talked about yet, about the, quote, downgrade of quality, quote, inconsistency in style and performance, quote, loss of time due to rewriting, and, quote, bad performances by frustrated actors. Poor Bob. He wanted to make it Shakespeare. He used to go outside and smoke through his frustrations. And when I read this, and it was before I read Lloyd and Sherwood Schwartz's book, I said, gee, I wish he would be more specific about the types of things he wanted. But then you read like Lloyd Schwartz's book and Barry Williams' book, and you realize Bob Reed had some real issues. He did. And And what she says about it, her take on it is a testament to the fact that as bad as his issues were, he didn't play them out a lot in front of the kids, and they didn't see the worst of it. And the only reason Barry Williams knew is he found out later as an adult when he wrote his book what was a lot of what was going on. Yes, he didn't know until he got access, and Barry was given all the copies of his memos, which I mentioned before, and he prints some of them in his book, and it's like, you can't even, I mean, there's this one that we'll talk about later, because it, when we get to that episode, yeah, when yeah. we get to that episode, that's just like, you don't even, it's just so densely written about, and I, oh, right, and, and I don't like, dispute, oh my god, I don't dispute Bob Reed's sincerity, at all. I don't think he was trying to be a pain no, in the ass. No, I don't think he was. I think was he like, was oh my just God, buddy. obsessive. Yeah, he stuff. was obsessive. But it's also like Sherwood Schwartz and Lloyd Schwartz's point, which I agree with pretty much, is it's a friggin' sitcom. There's a lot of things right. about it and the that reason are totally he was on unrealistic. It. And the reason he was on it he was because he had a con- under contract with Paramount, and they had to pay him. So they put him in it. And to his credit... Like I've said, you cannot... You cannot. And also, he was very generous. He he brought all the kids and their families the on a kids. European yes. vacation at one point. Later, when they made The Brady Brides, he was in a play in New York and had to... And I don't know how a and lot of these things were. he did those on his own volition. He did. He had to buy out his pay, like the understudy, I'm not sure how it works. It cost him money to come from New York to film his part in that movie, but he did because he said those girls aren't getting married without their father there. So I don't dispute Lloyd Schwartz and Sherwood no, Schwartz. and I'm sure Bob was a pain in the ass. But I, mean, I think, too, he was a human being yeah. and there was more to him. Then I don't blame them for being bitter about it. But. I think that he caused them a lot of um, grief. grief, but I think he wasn't as stupid as this sounds, he wasn't trying to cause them. No. Well, he sincerely, like you said, he thought he wanted he wanted it to be the best it could be. I don't know if he... They said it was because he had no sense of humor, which maybe he didn't. He seems to do well. I mean, I think he does, he does well. Like, I think he's he does, funny. Like, yeah. his facial expressions and everything. There are some parts where he's very funny. So, I think that... I mean, I don't blame them for not liking him, because if I worked with someone like that and had someone like that working for me... Sometimes I have been that person at work. 
I have been that person, but I've also dealt with that person. Right. And I think part of it, if you are that person... It's frustrating it's, when people don't want, want the same... It's because you care yes. about... Like, you for instance, when I work for newspapers... You care about the quality of what you're making, yes. When I worked for newspapers, my attitude was thousands of people, depending on what the circulation of the paper was, and then with the internet, it was so much more, are going to see our work. Mm-hmm. Don't you yeah. want... The bottom line to me was always the quality of the work. And I feel like that's with Reed. All these people are going to see this. Don't we want it to be good? And his idea of what was good was, was different, different from other yes. people's ideas. Yes, it and it happens. But now we're to our final episode. The final episode of season And I like one. this so much. Lost Locket, Found Locket. Yeah. And this is one of Jan... Is this the first... No, wait. Kachu was the first Jan one. Yeah, kind of. So this is kind of the, the, the first one. real Focus Jan. Jan. And I feel like... And maybe I should bring this up next week, but I'll bring it up now. As they have kind of are discovering that they need each episode to revolve around one of the kids, they're not at the point yet where they're rotating it between kids. It seems like there's a lot more Greg and Marshall yeah. ones. Because they're I think... better actors, Right. Too. Barry Williams and Maureen McCormick, maybe they feel, can carry an episode. Although I have to say, on A Voice for Christmas, say it last week of the week, vo- I thought... The Voice of Christmas. I know, I get that wrong every time, don't I? That Susan Olsen did a good Susan job was of, a good actress, yes. but she was also... A, she was hampered. Talk about bad scripts. But and, she ha, she was also... Had been in a lot of shows. Yes. She she was a, a veteran right. of TV. Mike Lookinland was the least experienced. He'd but been in he a couple commercials. very good natural actor. And he was just a very good natural actor. Two middle kids. Yeah. But in any case... But, you know, I, I, I don't hold it. They're kids. I don't hold it. I mean, like I said that about the Harry Potter movies. I the think they're kids. The and also, Sherwood Schwartz interviewed, the way he auditioned the kids, and maybe they had auditions and stuff too, but he interviewed 240-something mm-hmm. kids, I think he says in the book. And he based who he picked largely on personality and how the kids did in the interviewing. And frankly, when you have six kids, at least one of them needs to be neurotic. And I think Eve Plum does a good job yeah. of being the poor neurotic yeah, Chan. I will say... And the middle child usually, uh, uh, and I think, would be the logical one because the baby's usually babied. Especially right. in and three, the older when kids. three kids and the older yes. kid is the, right. old, the and golden And in this, child. it's almost like there are three kids, like three parallel yes. kids. And that's a good point but to Peter me. Peter also has some neuroses. But Yes, he does. Which Poor Peter. So, so, so this is a Jan episode. She gets a package in the mail. Yes, and it's another old style thing. It's a Notice city. It says a city. There would be even up to just maybe mean, ten years ago in the post office, you'd have out of town slot and, and a local, local slot. Right. The package is addressed to her. There's no return address, and it says city, so they know. It's somebody in the city who sent it. And Carol looks very yes, concerned. Carol looks concerned. Like maybe stalker it's a stalker. Alert. Yeah. yeah, stalker alert. Although well, that's kind of weird if your like, 11-year-old daughter gets up. And it, it's a locket. A it's locket, a really nice locket. Nice and I never say whether anything's inside, so I assume no. nothing's inside of it. So it's like, who sent this locket? And, of course, the men have to investigate in a very investigative kind of way. Yes. You know, looking through a magnifying glass at the address and stuff. And then, of course, when Carol is looking at the box that came in and saying, well, it's not a really fancy box. It didn't come from an expensive store, blah, blah, blah. Mike kind of sneers at her. And I'm like, that's, to me, that's more, that's makes more sense. That's what a real detective would be looking yes. at. And um, you know, and it's funny too. They're speculating on who could have sent it. Marcia says to Jan, 
pretty hard to figure out with the scads of admirers you have. <laughs> and it sounds like something she would say. I couldn't tell if she meant it sarcastically or not, because Jan doesn't seem to get offended by it. I know. It so, sounds, but it's a funny. Sounds, I know, it but it's sarcastic. I know. And everyone is so interested, as usual. Right. Everybody focuses on nothing but the locket Jan got. And so Carol calls her Aunt Martha, who's senile, yes. thinking maybe she sent it to Jan and meant to send it to somebody else. Because, like, who would send Jan a locket? And Martha seems to be the go-to generic name for Carol to call, because she also has that friend. Oh, yeah. And so Martha. things very quickly devolve into... And it turns out Martha has sent them a totem pole. Yeah, she, she has. went to Alaska. Yeah, and, which right, they're which, all, like, rolling their eyes. I'd like to have a totem pole. I would pole. like to have a totem pole, too. But, so, it all, of course, because what other solution can there be but trickery? Because the assumption is somebody in the house must have sent it. So, first, Carol and Alice sneak into Mike's office, not his sanctuary at home, but his at real work. office at work. Oh, because the typewriter, another has thing a, you're not going to get, has a dropped Y, which means the Y is lower. You know, usually that meant the little hammer arm with the... Yes, and if, you're not, if you don't know the mechanics of how an old-fashioned typewriter, not, this, not an IBM uh, Selectric, yeah. but they had these little arms in the kind of a, a fan pattern, the little metal hammer-type arms that had the um, letter letter on them embossed or whatever. And it would raised. hit against a it ribbon. It would hit against a ribbon that was full of ink in it. That's how it's actually quite an ingenious invention. I love old type. I love whacking but, away. I love shooting that carriage back. And Mike has a, I wrote that Mike's typing on a sweet portable typewriter. Yeah. Well, Alice, first, that, well, first Mike, Carol and Alice. Carol has a portable typewriter, which right. is pretty sweet. First, Carol and Alice they sneak into, into Mike, Mike's office. Well, they don't break in because Carol has a key. But the security, the security guard. has been a typewriter thief around. <laughs> yeah, like, and I'm like, like wow, wow, yeah, right. Like, and he's going to call Mike, typewriter. and they get all worked up about that. But Mike's typewriter types perfectly, okay, so it wasn't him. Okay. And then we show Mike in his study with Greg. He's um, typing on Carol's typewriter. And I don't know why Alice has to type. Now is time for all go meant to come to the aid of their country, which has every letter in the alphabet, if you didn't know. The other one being the, the, quick, quick, brown brown dog, the quick brown fox that jumped over the lazy dog's tail. But, of course, and now's the time for all good men to come to the aid of their country. The Y is at the end. <laughs> Why didn't they just type because Brady? Because it, was, it wasn't funny. Yeah. So, anyway, Greg is in my well, study. Well, Alice was all flustered, too, and it was the first thing she thought of, she said. Yes, that's true. But... And now comes the time for all sexist good men commentary. to make sexist comments about yes. women. Greg, to a female mind, anything is logical. Because Mike is trying out Carol's typewriter, her little red portable typewriter. And Greg says, well, don't you trust mom? And Mike says, yeah, except for when, I can't remember, something about things being logical. Yeah, and then he says, to a, to a female mind, anything is logical. And then they both joke about how ashamed Mike should be at being deceitful. Ha <laughs> ha, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, yeah. like they're not ashamed at all. You notice with Carol and Alice, there's no man bashing. They're no. just the silly women in this office who are and about the to get busted guard, by the security. And they do the same thing that is a trope in this show that... They try to explain this yes. long story to the security guard right. who doesn't and really care. In this disjointed way, which happens... Um, it happens on the card, the House of Cards. It it's going to happen on the babysitting one yeah. next week. Yeah. And um, I get 
bored by that. We're perfectly normal, articulate adult people who can normally explain something get all silly and so after all this they're still looking they're figuring out who well and also when carol is home then comes home she and mike kind of do a little minor trickery where they try to get each other to admit that they were uh, doing yes, trickery of course well um, you know that's the whole relationship that, it'd be exhausting out. living in so, that family so jan wakes up screaming screaming because yes. her locket is missing. Which she shouldn't have been wearing it to bed anyway. Well, she wore it everywhere because she was so excited about it. But, you know, I would have said don't wear it to bed because, one more one, you could accidentally strangle yourself. Maybe not. But you'd break the class. It would break. Yes. So they decide to reenact the crime. But because here's a, they start talking about detective shows. Right. But here's a Bob Reed, and I wonder if this was a Bob Reed ad lib because Greg says how they should reenact the crime. And Bob's like, don't you mean reenact the events, Leaper Mike? <laughs> Don't you mean reenact the events leading up to the crime? <laughs> and to me, that's not something that they would throw in the that's script. Funny. But it sounds like something Robert Reed knowing what we... And, you know, I would suspect Tiger might have taken it. But at this point, Tiger has disappeared, yeah, too. Tiger. And nobody cares about Tiger. And no that. one was... Apparently, nobody in the house was sleeping. Yes. Except for Jan yes. who woke up... Sc- and another very minor thing. But you notice how they are, they're always throwing in one of the parents correcting one of the kids' grammar. And the kids just ignore it and keep going. It's on... Almost every oh, episode. No. But in this one, somebody finally acknowledges. Marcia says good when she means to say well, and Carol corrects her, and Marcia actually acknowledges wow. it. That, yeah, you should watch for that. I think it's the scriptwriter's idea of how parents act towards kids, oh, correcting well. their grammar and the kids. Someone's got to do it before they get to be adults. But and there's another little thing before we get on to the reenactment that Alice goes into the family room or something when they're in there talking, and she actually has to apologize for entering the family room. You know how you mentioned yeah. earlier how she doesn't eat with them or anything. Now she has to apologize. She's not apologizing for interrupting them or anything, but just for being in the family room. Oh yeah, room. I'm sorry. I I came in here. Because... She went to the family room to write a letter yes. to her sister. Oh, Yes, I noticed it. She, oh, I'm so sorry I'm in here. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. And um, Mike and Carol are reenacting what they were doing, which apparently was getting it on. Yes. But, you know, and the other thing is everyone is so willing to believe that somebody stole it rather than some logical thing like the class breaking. <laughs> I know. Maybe. And it falling somewhere. Yeah. Everybody's just so willing to believe That's that. The, why would someone? Uh, but also the reenactment's false because, like, for instance, Bobby was brushing his teeth. But when they do the re- reenactment, they make him get into bed with the toothpaste in his mouth <laughs> when he was actually brushing his teeth. And, you know. <laughs> it's so stupid. But then Jan remembers that she she went to look at the stars and looked at the little the bear, the little bear, and, and her it fell off, fell and, and the there it was in the, sitting there. In the yeah, so she goes almost so no dives out the window. And, and she almost dives out the window to get up. Mike has to grab her to keep her from falling out the window. And also, didn't they learn anything from the Kitty Ariel episode? Remember, everybody's accusing people yeah. of stealing. No, no, of course they don't. Course they don't learn anything. But they're so their immersed in deceit after each. Well, also they're episode. so they're so immersed. They in really deceit. are. They are. But also, this is the culmination of my. Alice evolution theory. All right. Because we find out at the very end that Alice sent it to Jan. Yes, she did. Because Jan, first of all, Alice admits she doesn't write to her sister in longhand. She types, and her typewriter has a dropped Y. Because yeah. apparently she too has her own typewriter. Well, you know, back must have then, been the laptops of the 60s. Yeah. And her talk is very poignant. She talks about how it's easy to be forgotten when you're the middle child. And she wanted to make Jan feel special. Yeah. And she says this thing that when you think about it is a little fucked up. 
She says, no one will ever know that for a few days you were someone special. Now think about that for a minute. I mean, she's trying to say something very poignant, and and Jan gives her kind of crazy hysterical laugh and goes running out of the room (laughs) happily. To me, it's sad because this person is, especially if they're a live-in, kind of part of your family, but they're not. They're an employee. And, like, there was a woman that did a documentary about their maid when they were growing up because she still lives with her mother and they're elderly. Maybe they're dead now, but it is a weird... It's weird. It's a weird dynamic. Especially when you're a kid. and the, Especially if you're the kind of there, kid where your parents it, are working and the maid kind of yeah, raised you. I mean, it's... Like in Harriet the Spy with Old Golly, yeah. you know, the maid is mm-hmm. more of a... It's... It's just, it's just it's odd. Weird. It's weird, and it's I weird. feel bad. And that, even though I know it's not real, it's a show, but it made me feel bad for the character of Alice because she doesn't have any kids, and she's and she's past childbearing yes. age. And the fact, in fact, the fact that you can feel bad for Alice as I did too. I didn't feel bad for her because she didn't have any kids because I don't have any. Well, I, I felt bad, bad that me. these kids are her pseudo family, right? And yet she has to apologize for it's coming a, into the. Family. For, and the, two things about that. First of all, it's a testament to the acting of Andy oh, she's Davis a good actress, that yeah. she can, in this silly sitcom, can make you feel something like that. The second thing is, you realize at, at the end of the first season now, Alice has kind of there have not been any episodes recently where Alice has been this clown to make fun of. No. There's been several episodes where she's actually been kind of a poignant voice of reason yes. for the kids. And I can't remember because I'm watching them as again as we go along and I haven't watched many of these for decades if this continues throughout. I hope it does because I think it's a nice... We'll see. We'll see. But I, I like this Alice much better than the, you know, the mugging yeah. comic relief Alice. Somebody in this family full of deceitful trickery and sadism <laughs> and pompous, <laughs> empty lectures from the father needs someone who gets down on their level like she got down on her knees when she talked to Bobby about Tiger Missing a few episodes ago that we talked about last week. And actually talks to them as human beings. This is the first time Jan's been talked to like a human being since we've started watching this show. I know. It's not really a fun fact, but it's something I've heard over and over and over over the years. And it's finally explained well. And it kind of goes with, remember at the beginning of the episode when I was talking about the close-ups? Mm-hmm. And how in some of these episodes, I mean, the close-ups are really obvious. Lloyd Schwartz mentions in his book, and I've heard mentioned other places, that this was a single-camera show. You kind of figure out what that means. You know, over the years I've heard it a lot, yes. and there are other shows that are multiple camera shows, but in the Brady Bunch book, which is by Andrew Edelstein and Frank Lavici, and it came out in 1990. So before Barry's. Before okay. Barry's. But he just explains, and this is the best one-camera, single-camera show explanation I've ever seen. It's kind of my fun fact, but... Okay. Um, the Brady Bunch was what is what is known as a one-camera show, meaning it was shot in bits and pieces throughout the week, feature movie style. This is in contrast to Cheers, which, of course, was the big show when this book was written, and other film sitcoms today, which often use three or four cameras and shoot straight through like a play in front of an audience. I Love Lucy had actually pioneered that technique many years before. Sometimes on the Brady set, a second camera would be set up for a difficult, hard-to-reproduce scene for backup, or else to have a second angle covered for some special reason. So what they did, and that's why you see a lot of close-ups, is they would film somebody talking with the back Uh, of somebody's head, Mm -hmm. and then film the other person talking 
and it made for sometimes a little. And I think I think the reason I know about something about because I used to read a lot of stuff about soap operas because I was a big soap opera fan. Mm. And soap operas, a lot of times when actors would come from a regular TV show to a soap opera, I think soap operas used to generally use more than one camera because they had to shoot so much. They were so more fast. like dramas. Yeah. Yes, and they had to shoot it. It cuts down on the production time because you can use another take if you have one take but three different angles. You just use the one that's best or if you have two people having a conversation you've got right. them both filmed they, at the same time. They do that soap opera thing. Where they, one know, person where, stands in front of the other. Yeah, you know, you know, one person's behind the other person. They're both facing yes. in the same direction. And the person who's behind, farthest from the that camera, says, see they're both says something very says something that the other one's going to react yes. to. And uh, that yeah, person can't see the reaction in there. You know, it's always funny. Yes. It's so bad. I love soap So, so anyway, Mike, I know we said we would talk about Barry's reaction, but he does. He doesn't seem to have much on these. My favorite quote, I have to say, was poor Cindy in the Possible Dream episode saying, "Gee, I never had an inner thought in my entire life." Because in their stretch to make Cindy seem stupid. They make her say something. I, I just feel like that's just just so mocking. I and, know. And it's supposed to be this cute, funny thing a little kid would say. But it's also demeaning because it's this cute little blonde girl. Haha. I just feel like it's got a double meaning that it's I'm like not she, happy about. Cindy is playing the dumb blonde role. Right. The sitcom, exactly. You know, and there's always got to be one, I guess. Right. Uh, mine has to be Alice saying, right now I have the gayest nose in town. Oh, yeah. That was funny, too. And B was kind of... A little... Well, I don't know what I don't, her sexuality I, Yeah, was. I don't either. And... It doesn't matter. And gay meant a different thing back then and meant happy because she was happy because Sam was but yes they do make her mannish in some ways part of it's her personality in real life I watched some clips of her when she was Schultzy on the Bob Cummings show and she was kind of the lovelorn assistant Mm. and he was always she's so lovelorn and he was always slutting around with with all these models. She won two Emmys for that. But he, even though he was always, like, apparently sleep, I don't know what he was doing with these models, he Mm. still seemed extremely gay to me. He did, yes. But next week, we're going to be talking about the dropout, if you want to follow along. Oh, we're starting season two of The Brady Bunch. And here are the order. The first six episodes are The Dropout, The Babysitters, The Slumber Caper, The Un-Underground Movie, Going Going Steady, and Call Me Irresponsible. Yes. So those are the ones. A lot of good ones. And you can follow us on Twitter. We not only tweet out our episodes, but we tweet out other things about TV shows. And yes. if it's somebody's birthday, we had Michael Cole and Denise Nicholas. We yeah. tweet little birthday greetings. So that's GroovyTubePod on Twitter. We have a Gmail address, GroovyTubePodcast at gmail.com. And, of course, our website is GroovyTubePodcast.com. And our Facebook page, GroovyTube. GroovyTube. You do it. If you Google us, you'll find us. You'll find us. Because you'll see our cool logo. Yeah, the, the Becky designed. Very cool. It's very groovy. It's and we'll out of sight. we get some merch with it. we got to get some we're, merch we're, we're, we're working up to getting some merch. We actually... We don't have a Patreon thing yet, do we? No, we don't. What we need is for you guys to spread the word. Please uh, rate and review rate us, and review us on, on iTunes. On iTunes, because that will help get it out there for other people to listen And to. send us an email about what your favorite episode yes. or Brady moment was. We'll, yes. uh, we'll, Which one do you remember? Because we'll, there are a few of these that I, I've remembered all this time. We'll read them on the air. You can send us a voice memo. Yeah. We 
want to hear from you. Yes. And until then, until next week, stay groovy. Stay groovy. Be the grooviest. Be the grooviest looking girl the gro- in the whole yeah, school. The Even if you're crazy. And a special thanks to Ben Sound for our groovy music.